Amen. You can turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. I forgot a couple of things earlier during the announcements. First of all, Merry Christmas. But that's something that Christians say every day. Every day. Jesus Christ came, was born, gave Himself for us, died on the cross. So we can say Merry Christmas every day. What a blessing. And then the second thing is I have a thank you card. Of course, I don't have it here. It's in here. Uh, as most of you know, my wife had been, we counted it up. She was 36 days in the hospital. She almost went to be with the Lord twice. And God saw fit to bring her up. It's baby steps. She's at home. She was hoping she could be here this morning. It just didn't work out. She's in therapy three times a week. And uh, she hates me for that. And uh, it was funny, the other Friday she was at therapy and I'm sitting in the waiting room and I can look through the door into the therapy area where they have all of the, the weights and things and she's really going to town, I'm telling you, this, this lady is working her and uh, our eyes met through the doorway and I gave her the thumbs up and uh, she didn't give me the thumbs up. <laughs> it was more like the thumbs down, cut here. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for all the gifts, the, the cards, the calls, the visits. And most of the important is your prayers and your love. Uh, not only from me and my wife, but from my daughters. It means so much when you have a church family that really cares. I don't know what the, the lost world does. I did a funeral yesterday for my wife's cousin who passed away. And... Um, most of them don't know Jesus Christ. And um, I thought, how sad it is it not to have a church family to, to lean back on, to encourage you, to strengthen you, and most of importantly, not to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, we'll be starting in verse 1. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. And I said, of laughter it is mad, and of mirth what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, and yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good that, uh, what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works and builded me houses and planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards and planted trees in them all of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. I also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I got me also silver and gold and and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men and singers and women singers. And the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and all that of sort. I, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom retained with me or remained with me. And whatsoever my eyes desired I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor and 
And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labors that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth falling, as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also one event happened to them all. Dear Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. And Father, I pray you fill me with your spirit. Father, I know this isn't uh, the everyday Christmas message, Lord, but this one that you gave me. I pray that it, it reaches out, touches the hearts of the hearers. Now be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The key word in the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity, which is, uh, which is emptiness of trying to be happy apart from God. You cannot be happy from God or apart from Him. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter who you know. There's never happiness. And we've all been there if you were lost and everyone was lost until you got saved. When Jesus Christ came into your heart, everything changed, didn't it? I went from darkness into light. I told a young man the other day, I said, listen, we can do great miracles. We can raise the dead to life by giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you can do greater things than I've done. And literally, we have if we have led one person to Him. What a blessing to see that. But it doesn't matter how much power, prestige, uh, uh, pleasure, nothing can fill the void of God. You ever met someone that, that they seem like they have the, the great job, they have the, the good income, they, they have the sports cars, they, they have the bass boats, and, and they're just never happy. They're always buying something to fill that void. And that void can only be filled through Jesus Christ. See, Solomon was saved, but he still had that void. He was looking for things to bring him pleasure. And it said that if whatever he saw, he held nothing back. He took it all in. So we're going to look at Solomon. That's what kind of king that he was. And we see in chapter 2 what he found. You know, his qualifications to be able to discern this was, first of all, he was rich. He was rich. Uh, I was reading the paper. I try to read the paper and keep up on current events every day. And it had the top 25 richest men in the world of curiosity. They don't never stop at, start at the top. You got to start down at the bottom with the low guys that's only got like 40 billion, you know, which is really depressing, isn't it? $40 billion. And, uh, but it went on up, and most people think it's Elon Musk. Elon Musk was number two. Uh, Jeff Bezos was number three. And the, the top guy was $20 billion richer than Elon Musk. $20 billion. What do you do with all that money? You try to buy happiness. You know, Bill Gates, when his daughter turned 15, he bought her a 1,500-acre horse farm that was owned by the lady that started Weight Watchers in California. 
do you, what kind of horses do you think he put on that horse farm? I'm just talking about 1,500 acres was where the stables were, not counting the house and the ponds. He bought this for his 15-year-old daughter. That's somebody that's trying to find happiness. And it's right there in front of them through Jesus Christ. Well, he was rich. Of course, he had plenty of time on his hands. He was the king. He was the king. He could do what he wanted to. If he wanted to stay in bed all day, he could. He was the king. Thirdly, he was an observer of human life. He watched people. Do we have any watchers of people in here besides me? Do you go like to the mall? Men, I know if you go to the mall, you do what I do. You find your comfortable chair in the hallway and then you sit. Because you know you're going to be there forever. You know, if there was a thing called purgatory, it would be the couch in the mall. There would be a long couch for every man sitting, and that's what we'd be doing. How are you doing today? Man, I've been here for 400 years. But if there's not a purgatory. But I like to watch people. I like to see how people react to certain things. You remember um, Candid Camera? Anybody remember the whole show Candid Camera? They took Vaseline and they put it on the handrail of a um, escalator. So when the people, and it would only come around every once in a while, so you wouldn't get the same guy every time. So this guy, he reached and grabbed him. He was like, what in the world? Now he's going down. He don't know what it was. He's keep going. He's just got it on his hand. And then a few seconds later, video showed this other lady. She got on and, and sure enough, down. oh, what in the world do I have all over my... Well, I thought I would try that at work. <laughs> Not this work, my old job. There might be a reason it's my old job. No. Um, and I thought, hey, it would be funny to put it on the doorknob of the boss's office. I mean, if you're going to do it, start at the top. You want to know the richest guy first, don't you? You don't want to start at the bottom. And I rub Vaseline on the bottom of the doorknob. You know, you don't want him to be able to see it. And of course, he reached under and he grabbed it and he was like, what in the world? And then he called all of the supervisors in and said, hey, listen, that's funny, ha, ha, ha. What was that? And, of course, I had to admit it was me and it was Vaseline. and uh, It was a chuckle, 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 yeah, whatever. And um, the candy camera caught people doing things that they normally would do, but other people wouldn't know that they normally did it. You know, we've got a routine, right? Everybody gets up at the same time. I asked my Sunday school class one time, uh, if you're a guy, do you put on... The left sock first and the right sock, or do you put on the right sock first or the left sock? Do you do? Because we all have a routine. Is it the first right left leg in the britches first and then the right? Well, most of my class said, well, I have to sit down. I can't stand up and do it now. <laughs> I'll fall over and hurt myself. But some of them didn't know. Well, I'm left, for, left sock first, right sock second. Left shoe, right shoe. Some put on both socks and then both shoes. Just depends. We're creatures of habit. And Solomon was a watcher of people. I want to look at three areas of Solomon's life that he tried to find contentment. Now we're talking about the richest man to ever live. The wisest man to ever live. He knew God. 
and he still was unsatisfied. Number one, he tried to find it through pleasure and laughter. Look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he hath taken under the sun? What profit? What profit? A preacher. He tried to find contentment in mirth. Go over to chapter 2 now where we started. I said in my heart, go now. I will prove thee with mirth. What is that? That's gladness. That's happiness. That's joyfulness. He was looking for anything. Gaiety that was shown by anyone or anything. He was looking to have a good time. You ever been bored? You know, when I was a kid, my mother was a school teacher. And a lot of times, you know, back in the 60s, we didn't have all of the video games and toys that they had. Seriously, and most of you or some of you that are at least 60 years old, uh, maybe a little younger, not much, understand what I'm saying. We got one toy and fruit and nuts, and that was it. That was it. That's the Christmas you got, and you were happy to get it. And if you were lucky, you could get your brother or sister's fruit also if you were a wise person. (laughs) But for happiness, for joy, when we were born, uh, excuse me, when we were little, um, my mom would come up with ideas for us to do. Now, I know this is going to be strange, but my mom had my sense of humor. So she taught my sister and my, my brother and myself to write with our feet. Boy, you're talking about bored kids. I guarantee you out of everyone that's in here, I'm the only one that can cursive write my name with my feet. Now, I haven't done it in a long time. It's not like I go to the bank and say, hey, here, here." you know. I I wouldn't do that. But yes, that's what she did. She taught us. Um, (laughs) I'm not even going to reply to that. Um, but Solomon, with all of his money, gave himself completely over to the pursuit of pleasure. He was looking for fun all the time. All the time. It says in Proverbs twenty-one seventeen, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, it says, And he that fell among thorns uh, are they which... When they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches of this ple- and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. He was looking for so much fun that he forgot the main purpose was to draw people to God. That's what we do, man. We look forward to the four-day weekend, don't we? So we can satisfy our pleasures. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with a four-day weekend, but when that becomes your, your hope, then you're missing out on it. You're missing out on the benefits of being saved. Brother Jeff will tell you, there's nothing greater than leading someone to Christ. He goes out every day. 
He knocks on doors every day to lead somebody to Christ, to change their life forever. Forever. It's such a blessing. And Solomon was looking for the pleasures of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have God and mammon. You can't love God and the world too. You've got to pick which side you're on. You know, it's a, it, it's a funny thing that one of the first questions is asked to somebody that moves to Alabama, who's you going to root for? You Alabama or you Auburn? And unfortunately, you have to pick your side. Why don't Christians just pick their sides and say, hey, listen, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Solomon fell into that trap. In 1 Timothy 5, 6, it says, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. She's dead while she liveth. Because all she's looking for is the pleasures of life. Solomon tells us in verse 1 that living a life of just pleasure is unsatisfying. Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 2. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. It's vanity. Solomon, as we read, he did all kind of things. And we'll get into that here in just a minute. He saw all kind of things that he had done to improve, improve his living. His living. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and, and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Pleasure can enslave us if we're not careful. We can get to the point where we're under bondage to, to pleasure. Now, I don't, how do you do that? Because we're always looking for that good time. We're always looking for that next thing. You know, that's why it's so dangerous. Do you get caught up in, in things that you shouldn't be caught up in? Because it will take you from one step to the next. Now, at the age of 15, most of you know my testimony, I, I played varsity football at age 15, and, and I was, um, went out to a party with some seniors, and they said, here, try this. And for the next 15 years, that's what I did. 15 years. Boy, it was fun that night that I first did it, but I became a slave to that, in bondage to that. And it almost ruined my life. But Jesus Christ, November the 18th, 1990, came and knocked on my heart and said, Hey, listen, I want to save you if you're willing. What a great God. What a great God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32, God tells us that pleasure is defiant towards God. It says this, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not con convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, 
covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They had pleasure in people that doing this. They might not have done it themselves, but they took pleasure in it. I'm sorry, homosexuality or sodomy is wrong. It's wrong. And if you're a friend with someone like that, you're wrong. You need to tell them about the, the truth of God's word, not to drive them away, but to drive them to him. Because we're not born that way. You understand? That's a, that's a fleshly choice that you make to go that direction. We're made in the image of God, and God calls it an abomination. Boy, what a Sunday morning Christmas message. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 4. We're going to look at a day in the life of Solomon. Verse 22. And Solomon's provisions for one day was 30 measures of fine flour and three score measures of meal, 10 fat oxen, and 20 oxen out of the pasture, a hundred sheep besides horse and roebucks and fallow deer, and fatted fowl. So this is what that all means. Solomon's provisions or Solomon's food that was prepared every day for the king was this. For one day in the palace, 30 cores of fine flour is about 10 bushels which a bushel will produce anywhere from 42 to 60 pounds of flour. So, 30 cores is 1,800 pounds. 60 cores of meal are 3,600 3, pounds of meal. 10 fatted oxen. A cow weighs about 1,650 pounds, but only about 750 of it would be meat, so... That's 7,500 pounds of meat. 20 pasture-fed oxen, which is 15,000 pounds of meat. 100 sheep, which is between 200 and 300 pounds of meat. And then you had, you had gazelles and you had deer, roebucks. You had fat, fatty fowls as far as chickens and ducks. It has been estimated that this amount of food would feed between 10 and 20 thousand people for one meal. He was looking for pleasure, wasn't he? And he was bringing other people in with him. Ten to twenty thousand people for one meal. And that's what God says. I didn't make all that up. I just looked it up and broke it down to see what it would be. That's what it is. He had too much, didn't he? You know, I asked God years ago, when I got, first got saved, we had a, an old evangelist. His name was Grant Rice. Grant Rice came to Greenbrier Baptist Church, and I would say he was probably in his late 70s at this time. And this is what he said. He said a few things that stuck with me. And this, this is what he said. He said, um, I don't want too much, and I don't want too, too little. Lord, just make me balanced. Just make me balanced. 
How much is enough? How much is too little? Be homeless? You know, they asked John D. Rockefeller, and you're the richest man in America. How much is enough? He said, it's never enough. Enough is never enough. And that's what happens. You find a $10 bill on the ground, you pick it up, you wish, oh man, I wish it was a 20. But that's our nature. Solomon did all this stuff to seek out pleasure. Back in our, our text, in chapter 2, he said this of laughter, it is mad. And in verse 3, he said he gave himself over to wine. Well, these two go hand in hand. Being a drunk and being loud and, and um, laughing and, and all that, they go hand in hand. Brother Dave Turner, who's going to, first guy on the picture there, is going to be here. Um, I'd never heard him preach before until the super conference, and he said this, I don't mind a drunk coming to church every once in a while. He said they sing real loud and they give a lot of money. Why? Because they have no self-control. They have no self-control of themselves. But he said, the wisest man that ever lived, that God said, hey, listen, what do you want? And I'll give it to you. And he said, wisdom. Turned himself over to wine. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 6, it says this, For the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This is also vanity. And there's nothing sadder than to see somebody that's completely out of their mind drunk. It's sad. It's nothing sadder than to go to a funeral and know that the people that are in the immediate family are either drunk or high. I know I just saw it at a funeral. That's so sad. But see, that could be any one of us because we were at the point where pleasure is the most important thing. Anyone in here can be a drug addict. At any time, don't think that you're above it. It'll never happen to me. Don't say that because it can. Oh, I'll never drink. I'll never be an alcoholic because I don't drink. Don't say it. Don't say it. Because the devil knows exactly what you are the weakest in. And Solomon, the wisest man, are you smarter than he is? Or was? He fell for it. So he gave himself over to pleasure. Number two, he gave himself over to self-gratification. Look at verses four through eight. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, I made me great works. I, I built me houses and planted my vine me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards and I planted trees and, and them all of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to uh, water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. I also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also gold, silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and I, and delighted of the sons of men as musical instruments. And that's of all sorts. 
I was so great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. You know, some people, some people build things that will last forever so people will remember them. Don't they? I mean, we've got those things all over America. You've got the Washington Monument. You've got uh, uh, the Lincoln Memorial. You've got uh, uh, Mount Rushmore. Those are monuments that were built so the people that built them would be remembered. Solomon was no different. He was, he was awarded the privilege of building the temple of God. And they said it was immaculate. There's never been another building built like it. And there never will be. But unfortunately, Solomon also built churches or temples for his Wives and his concubines right outside the door of the temple for Jehovah. What a shame that he threw all that away. He threw everything that he had for pleasure and building, building things that would, people would remember him for. There are some, some that give their whole life. You know, it's said of Nero, when he found Rome, it was a city of bricks, and when he left it, it was a city of marble. He didn't build it for the glorification of Rome. He built it for the glorification of Nero. We get caught up. We want people to say, hey, listen, I, I appreciate the job you've done. I appreciate this. Man, this is amazing stuff that you've done. And we get so big-headed that we forget that, hey, it's God that gives us the ability to do that. Amen. I had the opportunity, my wife's vascular surgeon, um, I'm not going to mention his name, but in, to me, because of what he did, he is the finest vascular surgeon in the world. To me, because he kept my wife living. I mean, I could go into the, the details of the surgery, but this is the point I want to make. He stood for seven and a half hours in a two by two box operating on my wife. Seven and a half hours. I had the opportunity to talk to him while she was in ICU. They kept her in a coma for, for nine days. We figured it up. She was in the hospital a total of 36 days. Nine of them completely out. Didn't know what was going on. And, and um, But I had the opportunity to talk to him while she was in that comatose state. And I said, I just want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you for the ability that God gave you. God gave you that ability. You understand that? He said, yes, I understand. It wasn't you. God was working through you like He did the apostles when they penned exactly what He wanted them to say. God gave him the ability to stand there for seven and a half hours and do that major, major surgery. And one of the reasons he had that ability were all your prayers. 
And not just your prayers, the prayers of our missionaries' churches. And the prayers from other churches all over where it was in um, Murfreesboro or it was at Shawnee or if it was at Madison Street or if it was down at Bethel. People that didn't even know my wife prayed for her doctor. And God blessed him and gave him the ability to do that. So to me, God gave us the, the greatest doctor that we possibly could have. But he didn't come out and say, hey, look at the job that I did. Look at the job. It's, man, she's good. She's good to go. No, he, he gave credit where credit was due. And credit was due to God. But see, Nero wasn't like that. He was taking all of the glory for himself when he turned Rome in, from shabbles to uh, palace. In Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, it says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of these, which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.16 says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, Solomon, don't you remember what your father went through? King David, how because of his sin with Bathsheba, he lost his family. Solomon, don't you remember? Don't you remember what's happened? You're the wisest man on the face of the earth. Let me say, there's no self-made man. Period. If you're blessed with a good job, it's because Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit gave you the knowledge to be able to do that job. Amen. You weren't born that way. God made you that way. Did you know Satan can give you things and put you in a job or position to keep you from serving God? He can. And he will. You want money? He'll give you money. You know, I have, I have no fear of ever winning the lottery because I'm not going to play the lottery. Amen. It's not going to happen. A few years ago, I'm riding in the car and I'm, I'm ready to go home and I'm headed that way and, and um, came on the radio. That th that at this time, this was the largest lottery in the history of the United States is 345 million and they gave the numbers and you know I'm not going to play the lottery but to think about what you would do with 345 million dollars so I was thinking well I'll give all my family this much you know and I'll do this and I'll do that man I'll take seriously this is what I'm thinking now I'm not making this I'll take my entire church to Israel I'll rent the plane we'll go Boy, let's use the devil's money to, to have a good time. Well, I get home and I'm excited about it like I'd want it. I mean, I done pumped myself up. 
And my wife sitting in the chair, I said, hey, listen, this is what I'd do if I won this $345 million. Of course, after you've been married as long as I have, you, this is what... Okay, here's another one of his stories. I said, well, I would give, you know, I'd give the kids this much, and I'd give your sisters, and, and I'd get on... This is what I'd give my, my brother. And About 10 minutes later, my brother walked in. I'm still excited about it. And I said, hey, listen... I heard on the radio, this guy won $345 million, and this is what I would do. And I said, I would give you a new bass boat, a new truck. I'd give you, you know, a million dollars. And, and this is what this rascal told me. You're kind of cheap, ain't you? <laughs> really? You know what I did? You're off the list. No, no prize for you. And he's standing at the door listening right now, too. <laughs> but when we give ourselves credit for our lives, we become our own gods. We become our own gods. Solomon did everything he could to find con 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 uh, contentment, uh, happiness. <laughs> Verse 9 of chapter 2. Solomon said, what? How does it start off? So I was great. Really? Boy, now you've pushed yourself to the next level. I'm great. I'm great. I'm increased in more than all that was before me. Many people think that fame will satisfy the emptiness of the heart. They look for riches and and famous people all over are constantly committing suicide because that void is not filled with money. It's not filled with pleasure, as I said earlier. God says this about pride. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 8, 13 says this, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Hey, who else in the Bible said I? Who? Satan. I will be like God. I will. I will. Solomon, have you forgotten who gave you the ability and the power to build all those buildings, to plant all those orchards, to, to dig holes and, and have water? Have you forgotten who came from God? Pride will destroy You don't even have to go looking for it. It shows up. Look at verse 17. It's funny now. Solomon's got all this stuff. He's done all this stuff. And now he's getting depressed. You'd think anybody that had all that stuff would never be depressed. But it says in verse 17... Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. 
For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And he was grieved at spirit, at his heart, because he had given not everything. Being hurt in life, he hated that life. He started to understand that everything that he had enjoyed, built, and experienced didn't bring contentment. His experience is one of increasing dislike because there is a determining return of heartache because of pleasure. People try their best to uh, extract from the moment all the joy that they can. And let me tell you, if anybody loves fun, I love fun. I love laughing. I think a Christian should laugh all the time. Seriously. No matter what it is, you know, just a kind word, a, a smiling face, you know, can, can bring somebody out of that and make them have a good day. I was out on visitation one day with a dear brother, and, and um, we got tickled as we were walking up to the front porch. And um, we were laughing when we, get, when we knocked on the door. <laughs> Woo, we just kept laughing. Well, the lady came to the door, and we couldn't stop laughing. So she started laughing. She didn't know what we were laughing at. And um, she said, uh, this is a very unusual um, visit. And I said, well, you know, um, yes, yes, it is. And then we ended up giving her the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we should smile and laugh on visitation. You know, we should be personable. We should understand that. Brother Jeff and I were out. This was last year. And if I've told you this story, just act like you haven't heard it. Uh, and laugh, okay? That really moves me. Um, but I went to knock on the door, and as I knocked, she opened it up. So I about fell in on her. And so she stood back, and I jumped back, and I'm like, whoa, I'm sorry. My name's Wally Bryan. I'm from Madison Baptist Church. This is... Uh, assistant Pastor Jeff Smith, he's from Madison Baptist Church, and we're out visiting people in the area just to see if they go to heaven. Can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I was on my way out, but yeah, whatever you got. I said, um, and, and uh, what's your name? And she said, baby, B-A-B-Y. Now that throws you for a loop. So I said, uh, is that your given name or is that your, your nickname? She said, no, my parents named me baby. Okay, I said, all right, all right, here we go. <laughs> hey, baby, <laughs> if, I was, if I was Jesus Christ, why should I let you into heaven? And it broke the ice. But we need to have a joyful spirit about us. It's not about us. You understand? Especially during this time of year, it's not about us. It's not about the presence we get. There's going to be a lot of kids that are going to wake up and they're going to get gifts and they're not going to be happy. Shame on them. Take them back. You get nothing. You know, I had a little kid at vacation Bible school come up to me one time and he said, uh, we're playing deal or no deal. And I said, I'll tell you what, here's what I'll give you. I'll give you two two liters and I'll give you this, this game and this. And he said, no, I don't want that. I said, okay, well, what about... Uh, I take this back and I give you this and this and this. He said, no, I don't want that either. He said, I want that. I said, well, you're not getting that. He said, but that's what I want. I said, here's what you get. Go back to your seat. You get nothing. 
I'm the boss of VBS. Don't tell me what you want. Take what you get and be happy. It's not one toy and a bag of nuts and an orange or an apple. Secondly, 18, verses 18 and 19. Let me flip over to it myself. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labors wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. Solomon done built all this stuff and now he's getting ready to die and he's going to leave it to somebody else that he don't even know. And he don't know if they're going to waste it or if they're going to add to it. He said, what else can they do? I've done everything. What a shame. He became frustrated with all of the things, all of the, the buildings, all of the, the monetary, the material things that he had, had acquired. Now he's getting ready to, to pass on to the next life and he's worried about it. He's frustrated. And finally, verse 20. Verse 20. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. Now he's in depression. He's in depression. He's sad about it. There's nothing he can do about it. Psalms 37.4 says this, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee desires of thine heart. My desire today, not to fulfill the pleasures of the, the flesh or the pleasures of life. My desire today, and God says that He'll give it to me, is that if there's one here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that they'll get saved. Your entire holiday season will change if you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ and Him alone. John 14, 6, a very familiar verse, which says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. There's no other way. Jesus came, as Pastor said the other night, yes, we don't know when His birthday was, but we do know He came. And we know He died and rose again the third day. He did that for me. He did that for you. And if you're, not, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't wait till it's too late. Till it's too late and there's no other chance. God wants you to be saved this morning. He wants you to understand that He died for us because He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, there's a lot of religions that can't say that. When I was with my wife in therapy and she was in the therapy, therapeutic hospital, the doctor came in and uh, he said, uh, I've never met this guy ever. He said, you're the preacher? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, so you're the preacher? And I said, yeah. He said, um, can I ask you something? I said, yeah. And I thought, you know, he was going to ask about salvation. He said, but I'm a Hindu. 
Okay? I'm Hindu. He said, but I would like to, to have some preachers come out on a Saturday or maybe Sunday after church, between church services, and talk to our, our um, patients. And I said, man, I'd be more than happy to. You just give me the time, tell me when. He said, well, uh, I'm looking for non-denominational. I'm a Baptist. I'm an independent, fundamental, King James, old-time, hellfire, get saved or die and go to hell preacher. If you want me to come, I'll come. And this is what he said. Sounds good to me. But see, if my wife hadn't have been put through all that, I'd have never had the opportunity to meet that doctor. I would have never had the opportunity to pray with people in ICU that I didn't even know. I just walked up and asked, hey, listen, my wife's in here. You're, somebody that you love's in here. Can we pray? And it was all because of the surgery that she had. Listen, I've got a great physician. The greatest physician ever. And it's God the Father. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm begging you today. Begging you to come to Him and get saved. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, and I'll be finished. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God.